Want to create a breakthrough gene therapy? Pioneer aerospace excellence? Start a global hospitality brand? Be Next to do it in Montgomery County, Maryland. Visit BeNext.ThinkMOCO.com to see how our top talent, diversity, and location will help you be the next company to change the world. Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed. If you love Dynasty Leagues and prospects, you came to the right place, because that's what this show is all about. Covering the majors and all levels of the minor leagues to give you the leg up in your Dynasty Leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clegg. All right, Dynasty and Prospect fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 32 of the Fantrax Toolshed with Click and Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have another fun episode in store for you all today with a top-notch guest. But before we bring on that guest, we have to bring on my 80-grade co-host from Fantrax HQ, Mr. Chris Clegg. Chris, what's up, man? Oh, not too much. That's a, a real honor to throw an 80 grade on me, man. I, I really appreciate that. But uh, I'll have to give that that to uh, our guest here. I think he's he's definitely hit that 80 grade on the prospect scale for sure. So going to be an exciting episode. For sure. And we bring on that guest now who is one of the best prospect minds in the entire world, not just in the industry, in the entire world. That's right. You're going to hear, hear him gracing the airwaves on several In This League podcasts, including Prospect One, one of the nicest people in the industry. You know him as The Welsh. Chris Welsh joins us today in the tool shed. Chris, man, thanks for coming on. How are you doing this Memorial Day weekend? Buddies, what a what an intro there in the whole world, man. Whole world. I- that was that was that was quite the that was quite the intro. You gave me quite the little plug too after you came on my show. I got that Eric Cross bump uh, on your just just. I didn't even pay you, you know, and I would usually pay for that <laughs> type of tweet. You had a nice little tweet about me, and I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, world is a, is a, is appreciated in this crazy crazy prospect world that we live in and that we're talking about and attempting to gain any hold of right now, guys. Yeah, it's been a crazy first month or so here of the season. A lot of movers, risers, fallers. That's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get into all of that, you can find us all on Twitter. Chris is at Is It The Welsh. Well, Chris Chris Welsh is at Is It The Welsh. Chris Clegg, I got two Chris's today, <laughs> is at Roto Clegg. I am at Eric Cross 04 and our show at Fantrax Toolshed. Please subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or on your preferred podcasting platform. And please check out our Patreon for extra written content from both of us, bonus podcasts, private Discord access, access to our live prospect and dynasty rankings, and much more. These perks are available across four different tiers, starting at just $5. Or if you want to thank and support Chris and I, you can do so for just $1 a month. Sign up today at patreon.com slash Fantrax Toolshed. And also check out Welsh's uh, Patreon, ITL Army. That's uh, patreon.com slash ITL Army. Is that correct, Chris? That is correct. Patreon.com slash ITL Army. It's the, 
I would say, you know, for both of us, it's the way to go if you guys want to support, especially this type of, it's not like niche necessarily anymore, but I mean, it, it is in that world. Like the prospect people who put the hard work in mm. are putting in more work than you guys know. And it is not, it doesn't get the same type of love or beloved like football would or baseball would where people want to bring on podcasts and support and advertise like you really should support the people that you appreciate in the prospect world because they are doing it at the extra level that if they didn't have your support it'd be really tough to justify it so fantasy toolshed patreon.com slash itl army for my stuff at prospect one you guys uh you do a lot of good work as listeners when you support uh both of us and anybody that is uh trying to you know create any of this content for you guys couldn't agree more. Well said. So yeah, support us, support ITL Army and Prospect One, support Scott Bogman, the your partner in crime over there at ITL Army. They do a ton of great podcasts across several sports, not just baseball. You guys do it basketball, football, and hockey? Not hockey. We had hockey oh, a long hockey. time ago. Okay, a long yeah. time ago, but it That's wasn't was something. Yeah, it wasn't something that we covered. So, and Bogman's okay. kind of moved into the football. I take a lot of the baseball on, and I've got you know, like you guys have a bunch of unique content. Uh, I do the same thing. I've got my top five hundred list, my dynasty yep. list, all the specific updates. We've got group me rooms and just access and lots of other cool stuff. So check it yep. out. Absolutely, and check that out. And let's get right into the show. Like, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, we're going to start off with some prospect risers and fallers for the first month of the minor league season. There's a ton of those. Take our quick break. And then after, we're going to have a great conversation about who is the best pitching prospect in baseball or who are some of the names up there in that tier, because that's not such a cut and dry conversation anymore. It's There's not one guy. There's a bunch of guys. like you, You've seen over the last... You know, a few weeks, people say, oh, this it's this guy or this guy. So we're, we're going to have that conversation, give you some names that could jump up into that top tier, you know, this year or fairly soon. And then we'll close out with some other pitching prospect notes. But let's start off here with the risers and fallers here. I think two of the bigger ones on the hitting side so far this year have been Oswald Peraza and Gunnar Henderson. Peraza has been absolutely on fire in high A in the Yankee system. 23 games, he has uh, 13 extra base hits, 5 home runs, 15 steals, slashing 323, 470, 9.5% walk rate, and 18.1% strikeout rate across 105 plate appearances. He's moved up from 189 to 75, and that was 189 preseason back in April, now up to 75 in my personal rankings. Welsh, what have been your thoughts so far on Peraza and how high has he gone up in your rankings? Yeah, he's gone really high. I mean, numerically, it's even bigger because I don't think I was quite as like preseason in on. Uh, so, you know, sometimes Yankees prospects get a little bit too much of that bump. Uh, overvalued. Right. We've all overvalued Esteban Florial before. Uh, Ezekiel Duran actually was kind of the guy that was getting a little bit of that push. And then on the lower levels, and this is what sometimes will happen with an organi- organization like that when you're evaluating, is you get excited about the um the super lower level guys and like Kevin Alcantara Alcantara however he wants to say it and Alexander Vargas those kind of had my attention and Peraza had been just fine you know two middling batting average 250 to 260 range no power really to speak of he had stolen some bases and wasn't like a really big liability as far as like striking out or walking 
he was just a fine prospect. You know, it was like early, early years of uh, Luis Urias or something like that, where it was yeah. like nothing popped off. And then it started to click this year and it's clicking in a great way. His swing looks fantastic. I love the swing. The power is starting developing. And guess what? If we as valuators think in our brains like, oh, how does the process work? It is a sometimes a slow build. And right around this time, you get to that high A double A is where you will see uh, not that necessarily he's like a big major contact hitter, but like you will see more average contact based guys who are just still learning pitch recognition. They'll start to make that transformation to start to hit for more power. It's all just clicking for him. And I don't know what we call this. We call an in-game stolen base and home run uh, combo meal. Yeah. So I don't want to know if we want to call this, you know, his takeout stats or something like that. But if you <laughs> combo, I'm going to call it the takeouts. If you combo his homers and stolen bases, and let's create that as one just counting stat. Yeah. No one has more in minor league baseball than Oswald Peraza. Nobody. Not Vidal Bruhan. Not nobody. He has 20 combined homers and stolen bases together. 15 stolen bases, which puts him, I think, right in the top. Uh, yeah, he's tied for fourth in baseball. Him and Nassim Nunez with the Marlins both have 15. And the top guy has 18. All of those guys combined to so take that top five of stolen bases. If you take Peraza out, those four players have a combined two homers. So now you have Peraza, who has five homers. He accounts for all of those plus the 15 stolen bases. The counting stats look great. The adjustments he has made look great. He doesn't strike out. Walks, body. It's all kind of in line. And I said it on uh, whatever show a couple weeks ago. Like, I kind of want to go all in. and But I'm very, very, I'm more careful, I think, than anybody. Because we got this weird last year. This year's still weird. You know, we're coming into June and we only have a month of minor league season, not multiple months. So you have sample size issues. You have developmental issues from last year. So I'm very tenuous on going crazy because I think you can make some mistakes. But Peraza is one of those guys, I don't know about you guys, that I really want to go all in on. And I've got him just about where you're talking. Um, the eight. I mean, I think you, you might, I mean... Uh, Kudos to you. You might have gone a little bit higher than I am, but I'm still a tiny bit tenuous um, age and what he's doing, everything like that. But I've got him right around the 80s. So I went all in top 100 type of player. Yep. I think he's in a lot of top 100s now. Uh, Clegg, how about you? Where do, where do you have Peraza? What are your thoughts? Yeah. So like for uh, from my standpoint of ranking for OBP, like, you know, he's never been like an extraordinarily high OBP guy in the past, but we've seen the walk rate creep up near 10% this year. He's at 9.5. So we'll see if that sticks, but I've got him right around the hundred range. And you look at some of the stuff he's doing and the contact rates are good. He's got an 80% contact rate right now. You mentioned the, the blossoming powers max exit velocity at 106 is, is pretty encouraging for, you know, a smaller guy that we hadn't seen a lot of power from in the past. So I think he can continue to grow into more power and, we, I mean, the speed's undeniable. The hit tool's solid. He's going to be able to hit for average. So I've definitely liked what I've seen so far. And I think you can make an argument that he could end up being very high on a lot of lists if this continues. You know, he's already bumping up a lot. But, you know, we, we talk about the, the sample size. And a lot of guys we just don't know about from last season, like the developmental process that they had. And, you know, some some of the teams put out good information from, like, alt sites and fall instructs. But, you know, there wasn't a ton from – Peraza and then we see him come out hot like this and it's definitely encouraging and definitely be monitoring him closely. But, you know, I think that he could skyrocket up even further if this continues. Yeah. I just want to add one more thing on this uh, just real quick. Yeah. I, I said in a show a couple weeks ago that I think it's super important 
this season to speculate, to speculate more than you've ever speculated before. I know that's weird. It's just because like anybody performs, someone tweets about a prospect and then you get the inherent questions. Hey, should I cut this guy for this guy? I'd always be careful about cutting like the really, you know, solid talent players that might be kind of wavering kind of up and down their performance. You know, there's plenty of guys inside the top 100 that are wavering, but you should always be speculating. And I would be aggressive in speculating, speculating on Peraza. What will push me into a really, really like aggressive range with Peraza. So, and I'm only saying all that in the speculation is like, if someone's like, well, Hey, you know, Plasson is struggling. Should I cut him for Peraza? dude, I can't do that. Like there's, there's a lot, a lot of potential. And, you know, take a guy like Poisson who um, is very aggressive level skipped playing in the AZL, one of the youngest players. And it's a really aggressive assignment. Like I'm not looking to cut a player like that, but I would find a way to get Peraza because once he makes that next jump, that's going to be a big step for me. If he continues 85% of what he's doing at double a, it shows the reality because low a to high a, is such a big developmental jump, but is. so is a high A to double A. And if yep. he can continue, that's a really, really, really big telltale sign that this guy might be for real. And I and I feel like of all the prospects that have been playing well right now, this is one of those guys that was misjudged and is real. Yeah, and I hope he gets to double A at some point this season because I'll probably be able to get some live looks to put him in the double A Northeast League, East League. I don't know. I think Northeast League. I don't know. I can't, I can't remember all these new names. What well, used to be the Eastern League, my home yeah. league here. And I, I know Somerset does come to Portland, I think, in July or August. So he might be up here by then if this continues. But yeah, I've um, loved what I've seen from Peraza. You know, he's always had the, you know, solid hit tool grades and speed grades, good defenders. Well, you know, could stick at shortstop, but obviously they have Clabber Torres there now. So who knows? But yeah, this additional power he's showing already has 13 extra base hits in 23 games. So over an extra base hit every two games. You know, this, this these are the guys I kind of been banking on more and more. You know, the guys that have the hit tool there, the speed. And then you see some of these guys, the power always seems like kind of trend up as they, you know, get older, get more maturity. We've seen it with Corbin Carroll, with Jaron Duran. I'm not saying he's the same type of prospect, but there's a lot to like here with Peraza. And, he, and you mentioned Robert Poisson. He's on our list, too, so let's jump right over to him. He has had a not-so-good season, no. we'll put it that way. Uh, but you, as you mentioned, he's 18 you know, in low A ball, full-season assignments, kind of aggressive. But uh, 19 games, 69 player appearances, only two extra base hits, zero home runs, one steal, slashing 197, 279, 230. You know, he's walking 10.1%. That's pretty solid seven walks so far and he's got a little hit streak going he's got hits in four of his last five games three of those being multi-hit which it doesn't seem like a lot but on may 25th he was hitting 106 and he's up to just under 200 so he's raised almost 100 batting point spots and had a couple multi-hit but that's the whole point i mean to to, jump right in there but like that's the thing is you see this small sample size of puasen and you're like oh okay you know super high prospect he's just in low a what's the big deal oh he can't even hit the you know he can't hit anything and you immediately jump off. Like people were ready to be done with Puasen after 50 at bats. It's a super aggressive assignment. Now there are things to be worried about. Like one of the most worrisome to me, it is adjusted a little bit, but he had one of the worst or highest, I should say ground ball rates of any prospect mm. early on. He's still there. It's about 10. He's top 10. He's number 10 in putting the ball on the ground. So he's getting no loft. He's not getting a whole bunch of anything, which tells some about his swing, a lot about his pitch recognition because there's so much to adjust to, but he's a super athlete. 
he, he has an air about him. Uh, the team loves him. They take great care of him. In the offseason, Bobby Crosby, uh, one of their coaches, is with him all the time, like a hawk, just making sure he's good. The development of where he came, you know, from um, – uh, from overseas and you come over here and you're learning a whole, he lived in Mesa, which is down the way from me for a whole year. There's just so much that goes into the process that you don't just sell out on talent right. after a small little sample size of struggling, but I understand the worries, but at least like you said, he's kind of, he's showing some signs of life again early on, which is a great sign and maybe a super buy low for Puasen. Yeah, no, absolutely. Just the one, the one kind of question I've had about him, like you mentioned, great athlete you know that power speed potential is there with him but you know the k-ray has been super high so far and i like a lot of that might be or at least some of that might be the you know aggressive assignment and he's still adjusting so i'm not i'm taking it with a grain of salt but at the same time it's not like he's checking out 32 percent of the time it's 50.7 percent right now yeah, it's stupid. It's 30 30 k's and 69 plate appearances so i, I still wonder let's i i have bumped him down a bit just because just the way I've been, you know, kind of changing my evaluation of pros hitting prospects is putting a lot more emphasis on that hit tool, on the approach. Like I still like Poisson, like you mentioned, the, the upside is definitely there, but I just, you know, the questions were already there before yeah. this year about the hit tool, the, the approach, the pitch recognition, etc. But, but yeah. it's, he is no track record of sam i mean just again think about it like during the quarantine they kept him here and they kept him at the alt alt site that's a pretty big deal yep. he was here the whole time working with coaches you know working through instructs doing all that okay great eric pena staying here he's in extended spring training he's gonna play rookie ball for the royals maximo acosta he also had a shoulder injury he's here working with the rangers and he's gonna play in azl luis rodriguez dodgers same thing here puasen Nope. He's out in, in a full season assignment. That's an aggressive assignment. The K rate, no doubt you should be concerned about, but let me throw this at you guys. Chris, what do you think about Lazaro Armenteros? Lazarito, if you will. Do you have any thoughts on Lazarito right now? Who is destroying. He has a, I think he has the best average in all of minor league baseball, 431. He has eight stolen bases, two homers, an under 500 OBP. What do you think about uh, Lazaro Armenteros? Yeah, I mean he he's been pretty impressive this year, but you still look at the K rate, and you know the K rate's still up there at near thirty what thirty seven percent. So it hasn't been great, and it's another another case though where you know he was highly hyped coming over, and he kind of struggled a little bit. And so I see some of the comparisons here where you know it may take Poisson a little bit of time, you know, to but, develop. But I, have, but I have a point. I'm so sorry, but I have yeah. a point that I wanted to throw to you too, and and I, I thought you might jump in on it. Is that Armenteros? is playing with Puasen. Uh, true. Armenteros it is playing in low A. He's 22 years old. <laughs> I was at Armenteros major league, or I'm sorry, stateside debut. Him and Austin Beck made a debut together um, out here in the AZL. And I remember being in that game and I caught Armenteros after super raw, but he's just like a jacked athlete. You get super excited about it. And this is kind of a dual-sided thing that I'm point I'm making here um, is that Armenteros had all the tools in the world and it was, and he had the same kind of strikeout rate, different swing and stuff, different just player in general. And it's taken a long, long time. But la in 2019, the homers picked up, but there's no average. My only point is if you were to statistically just, if you were to just look at the stats, which unfortunately a lot of people do, you just look and you go, holy crap, Armenteros, he's hitting 421. This dude's awesome. Look at the homers, stolen bases, 400 back. 
He's 22 years old at low A and been in the A system for four years. And you have an 18-year-old who's had no stateside run playing with him right now. Yep. It's just, it, it's <laughs> such a weird nuanced game where you have to look at stuff like that. Because if you just focus on the hot guys and the hot trends and you look at Armenteros, we would have to talk about him. But he's also, he literally went down a level because his development's been so weird and he's now approaching it. That That's always like my cautionary tale when you worry about stuff. The biggest thing of all of these I'd be worried about is what uh, Cross said, 50% plus K rate. That that that's going to slow his development. Doesn't mean he's yeah. not going to be great. That it is going to stunt and slow him for a bit. Where I wouldn't be surprised if he's back at low A or something next year. So sorry about that. Like Puas and I had just a bunch of thoughts on my head, and I want to <laughs> talk about Armentero. So I, I totally took over. I apologize about that. Yeah, it's funny you brought up Armenteros and, and Austin back. Even I, I wonder, like this is becoming commonplace with a lot of these Oakland hitters. It feels like that there's a lot of high K rates. Like Austin Beck yeah. has had issues with the K, like all three of these guys have had massive K issues. I don't know if it's just more so the, you know, the, it says more about the player development org in general out there in Oakland or isn't that hilarious too the with players, the, the targets. But isn't it like, we think about like the Billy Bean era of like, can he get on base? And the A's prospects are like, can he strike out? Like it's right? just so like anti A's Billy Bean stuff. That's funny. It is, yeah. So uh closes out. Who would you guys rather have if you were to start up dynasty draft? You taking Peraza first, you taking Poisson first. You go ahead, Chris. This is your I'll show. take Peraza. <laughs> Peraza. He just he's closer, I think, and he's he's a little more advanced right now. So yeah, I'll lean that way. That's Walsh is struggling. Walsh is struggling with this one. Here's why here's why. <laughs> if I only cared about proximity then it's just Peraza. Like, Puasin's going to be at least two years, maybe three years behind Peraza, to be honest with you, because I think Peraza hits double-A this year, can hit triple-A next year, and it could be a real possibility what the Yankees want to do the following year. Puasin, I think, is going to spend full seasons at each level and is probably not going to be up for three or four years. So Agreed. by that standard, I should just say Peraza. But if I'm, you know, when I'm thinking about the full talent pool and stuff like that, I don't know. Poisson's still like there's a sky's the limit type of thing. It's just a, a big, big athlete. Um, I don't like his swing right now, and I wish they would fix it. But he can run, he can hit. But I, I should take my own. I should heed my own stuff here when I talk about Armenteros. And you think about the, I mean, Lazarito. Lazarito world was crazy in 2017, and there's some of that that exists here. So yeah, you know what? The more I'm thinking about it, like I do have Poisson above Praza. But if I was starting right now, I'd be more aggressive in jumping in on Praza. Yeah. So so Clegg is right. Yeah, three for three. I, I have Peraza ranked a little bit ahead. I do think the overall upside ceiling might be a tad higher with Poisson if he can fix the you know, the overall approach and and make more contact and you know make better contact. Not like you mentioned Welsh into the ground, but yeah, I think there's the overall package of like ceiling and floor. I would lean to Peraza right now. Yeah, uh, let's stick in the AL East. Couple more names we have here in the AL East. You know, some good, some bad. Gunnar Henderson, you know, everyone's kind of raving about the, you know, the, the direction that the Baltimore Orioles player development is going on the rise. And he's kind of like at the forefront of, of names that are on the rise individually this year in low A, 19 games, 88 plate appearances, 12 extra base hits. So he's having, you know, a higher rate of extra base hits than Peraza is. Six home runs, three steals, slashing 308, 375, 616. And then a couple of Toronto names here. 
Uh, one off to a good start, one off to a not so good start. Gabriel Moreno hitting 400, 459, 646 with three home runs in double A as a 21 year old. And then also his teammate, another 21 year old, Jordan Groshans, 240, 333, 340, not hitting for really any power, striking up near 30% of the time. Uh, Clegg, I'll go to you first here. You know, what are your thoughts on Henderson and you know these, this Toronto duel here? Where are they kind of moving up and down your rankings? Yeah, Henderson's been impressive. And, you know, last year there were some reports out of the alt site that Henderson was doing big things. And the Prospect Live guys were really in on him and pushed him up. And, you know, I didn't at the time because I hadn't seen anything. It was only the reports that I had heard. And then now you watch him and he's been really impressive. He's shown very good, you know, opposite field power and really good power to all fields. And the hit tool looks there and, you know, even the speed, I don't, he's not like blazing by any means, but he's, he's pretty aggressive on the base pass and he's stolen three bases so far and he's pretty efficient as well. And so you look at the slash line of 308, 375, 615, you come away pretty impressed. And, you know, the numbers are backed up by swing mechanics. I think he makes good contact and the whole package I think is there. And you mentioned he, he is near almost 20 years old at, at low a. So, I'd like to see if he gets bumped up, how he performs, and if they move him up to to high A or double A. Because I think that that assignment was kind of surprising that he was in low A, and maybe not. But you know, I'd, I'd like to see how he performs at a, a higher level. But yeah, he's been very impressive, and you know, I, he's one that's definitely inside my top 100 now. And you know, he looks like he looks like the he's got all the parts, and he could be a really solid performer. Yeah, yeah, you know, looks like he you know solid hit tool there, good power bit of speed that he that in, you know, maybe five to 10 steals annually from the shortstop position. So yeah, Henderson's moved into my top 100, not quite as high as Peraza. I think I have Henderson in the mid eighties right now, but they've both kind of been, they both were just inside my top 200. Now they're both kind of moved up about 110 spots each with me for uh, these, this Toronto do, especially Jordan Groshans. And I, I think you know, it's not like he's been absolutely terrible this year. He hasn't been great, but he has been, terrible either but i think a lot of us myself definitely included maybe overvalued his power you know coming into the season like i don't think he he's a 30 home run guy maybe he's more like high teens low 20s with a decent average i think he can still hit for a de- decent average you know around 20 home runs but there's really no speed here so you know what 275 and 20 i mean that's good but i don't think it's a turn him into a star like many of us were thinking so I think he's just kind of was kind of overvalued, so I'm kind of adjusting that ranking back. Well, what are your what are your thoughts on yeah, all, I mean, all these guys? Yeah, there's a lot of those. Definitely in on Gunner. Gunner was really um, highly touted coming out of the 2019 draft, but you just got to remember, like he just didn't have a lot of run. So I agree. I'd love to see a little bit more aggressive assignment, but he's still he is still technically 19 years old, and he's yeah. doing this, and he has under 50 total games in the minor leagues spread across two years. So it tells a lot to me to have that like break between all of this for this high school bat to you know go through the 2020 season from rookie ball and then come in low way and just dominate leads the minor leagues in uh, rbis right now i'm very much in easy inside the top 100 and he's just one of the handful of you, know, you want to talk about the teenagers the teenagers you know quote that are like dominating right now and he's of just a handful you know francisco alvarez probably leads the way and gunner henderson is right there with uh, noel and just a couple other guys Um, so Gunner, I'm definitely in on, and he, I think is like a a continued up, up riser. Groshans. I agree. I've never been the biggest Groshans guy. Um, I didn't, Callis 
Jim Callis on multiple episodes during the draft season and really talked him up and liked him. But I always, I kind of think, I think Gunner could too. I think they could both maybe potentially be um, third base guys. I think Groshans is like a 25 plus homer, maybe mid average third baseman eventually moved to. And you know, the other thing I wanted to bring up, which I think is interesting, Gabriel Moreno is fascinating to me because. This dude shows up uh, if you go on a fan graphs and you're looking at their minor league stats throughout everybody and you just start to kind of like do some sorting on like batting average and hits and all that. He just keeps popping up and popping up. I wonder if there is something developmentally the Blue Jays do with catchers that we don't specifically know about. Because like think of think of the guys that keep getting developed in like Kirk. Right. And Danny Jansen and stuff like that. I just wonder where the development is going, and you you can't deny how well he's hitting right now. So he's a a, a decent mover for me. Moreno is a decent mover as far as the hit tool goes, um, and he got a really like aggressive like double A assignment at a young age, and he's going. But I would say if I was ranking, um, Gunner. I mean, Gunner's probably top three or top four highest risers, and I would put him way over Moreno. Moreno's a catcher, and if he moved off the position, I might get excited about it. But I think there's not, you know, there's a debate in here: Gunner Henderson versus Jordan Groshans. And I think it's, I think it's still Groshans, but I think it's really, really close. And this yeah. season, I think those guys could flip. I think you could see Gunner. Gunner's the type of guy I think we could be ending our 2021 season. All of us, we could sit here and talk, and we could say. Uh, Gunnar Henderson is maybe a borderline top 30 player and Groshans is maybe outside the top 75. And yep. I think that is like a flip of how Gunnar and Groshans are viewed right now. Yeah, I can definitely see these two guys flipping. Like I, said, I have Groshans right now in the 40s, Gunnar in the 80s. I could totally see that flip-flopping. Like you mentioned, the, the arrows are kind of going in opposite directions right now. And I'm not necessarily worried about Groshans, but uh, definitely... I'm adjusting my rankings and Henderson is definitely one that's rising quick. You know, is a Welsh is Moreno a top 10 dynasty catching prospect for you? I think he's like right in that range with that guy's like, I have him really close to like Ivan Herrera from the Cardinals, Patrick Bailey, Cal Raleigh. I think he's right in that tier. Is he a top 10 catching prospect for you for fantasy purposes? So that's a really good one. I, uh, it's actually, you nailed one of the guys that I have him right around is I've got him right around Ivan Herrera. And, it's just outside because I'm taking a look here, even though there's a couple caveats here, he's just outside the top 10. And I think he's moving up through, I think um, Herrera is in that conversation. Don't forget about Patrick Bailey. You know, Patrick Bailey's bat's been picking up a little bit and he's a really good defender yep. and he's going to probably move Joey Bart off. Um, but like between guys like Bo Naylor, Amaya, Herrera, MJ Melendez, I think he's in that tier and he's moving quickly. But there's also a couple guys that could come off that position. Like uh, Tyler Soderstrom has been actually played some outfield and he's just, you want to talk about a skyrocketing guy for me as well. Oh, I, love, I love Soderstrom. That, yeah. that bat is legit. Yeah, it is super, super legit. And I've had lots of different people talking to me about him, some scouts on the backfields out here in Arizona. And also uh, Diego Cartaya is another guy who I think could move off of catcher. He he played a couple of years ago in um, AZL. I think it was AZL, maybe it was Instructs. He played a little bit of outfield. So that's a guy that the Dodgers could maybe theoretically move off. So you got Cartaya and Soderstrom. So all I'm doing, and Bo Naylor as well could come off. I'm building this story to say like, yeah, Moreno justifiably short season can be viewed out, especially if other guys are playing other positions and stuff like that. But you know, then we get into the whole, like how much you want to value a catching prospect. If I don't right. believe, like if I don't believe a catching prospect has a legit shot to move off of that position and their name 
and or their name isn't Adley Rich, Richman or Francisco Alvarez, then I'm not going to be aggressive. Alvarez and Richman, boom. Then you've got to you've got to have the ability to come off your position like Soderstrom or so Austin, I, Austin Wells as well. He could you want to moves off as a first baseman. Yeah, I technically yeah. have three. Is this correct? I'm going to have to look here. Where is this other guy? Is not coming up. I have four catcher eligible players um, in my top 100 because Bart's still eligible. And um, I think two of them have the potential to not play that position long-term or one of them at least. Yeah. That's always a question. Obviously we, a lot of these guys, because like like you mentioned, you know, in Los Angeles, they already have Will Smith. They have um, uh, Kyber Ruiz. So that's a log jam there. Oakland has Sean Murphy, who you know is scuffling a little bit at the plate, but very good de- defensive catcher, which obviously adds value from a real life perspective. Uh, uh, Clay, I got I got to use your last names here. <laughs> <laughs> Clay, uh, do you have Moreno top ten in your OBP rankings for for catchers? I mean, yeah, he's definitely pushing into that range, and I need to adjust him probably even higher. Like I've, I think I'm still a little low on him. I haven't working on the updates right now, and haven't pushed him up as high as he should be. But yeah, I think he's definitely pushing top 10 and especially like you mentioned there's i'm looking at the guys on my list and a lot of them probably move off because you know i've got obviously rutchman and then francisco alvarez and after that it's like herbert hernandez which i don't know if even classify him as a catcher anymore yeah, like where, where does he play I yeah austin <laughs> wells he you know he could come off soderstrom and you know, joey bart so guys like that and then yeah he could he could slide in you know really anywhere after that because you know i'm looking down it's a pretty good gap between uh, Bart and then on down for my next catcher. So yeah, I think he's definitely top 10 material. He's, he's looked really good and been impressive for a pretty aggressive assignment. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Moving on here. We got a trio of Cleveland uh, hitters here that are kind of trending one way or another this season. Uh, Two, not so good trending down one trending up. So young Kenzie Noel trending up right now, doing pretty well, you know, hitting, tearing the cover off the ball um, in low a hitting 358, 380, 672, 11 extra base hits, five of which those are, are home runs in 15 games. And then you have Nolan Jones and George Valera. Valera hasn't really played a ton this year, but I think this is like a continuation of, Kind of him moving down from you know 2019, um, and then Nolan Jones, who's the one I want to talk about here first. In 21 games, Triple A, 87 plate appearances. He only has one home run, 194, 333, 306 slash line, and a and he's still walking his usual 16.1 percent. Nothing wrong there, but 44.8 percent strikeout rate this year, and then. Look at his splits versus right-handed pitchers, left-handed pitchers against lefties. Going back from 2021 back to 2016, his rookie his debut: 176, 151, 186, 214, 276, and then those those two were against or in like what 30 plate appearances or something like that. Overall, 306 against righties, 192 against lefties. With these with the strikeout issues that I mentioned, so. Jones is not a top 100 guy for me anymore. I think there's platoon issues there. That's something I've been valuing more so on the hitting side is you know these guys that can hit both you know both handedness on pitchers because you see a lot of teams, especially like the Rays, for instance, you know platooning guys more and more now. That's becoming a bigger thing in today's game. And you know with Jones's passive nature, gets himself in too many. Like he's not 
I don't think there's necessarily a major issue with his pitch recognition. There's some issue there, obviously, but like he's not a 44% K rate guy in general, but he gets himself into too many two strike counts. And then boom, the K rate goes up. He's just too passive. The power isn't coming out. Like he, I think he has plus raw, but it's not coming out in games because he's too passive. So, you know, Welsh, I know you're, and we're talking before we came on, you're kind of in that same boat with me on Jones. Are, are you sharing these similar concerns as I am? Yeah, everything you said, man. I mean, he's a career 190 uh, against lefties this year. He's hitting 176. You know, he's had 17 plate appearances against lefties in the minors this year, and he struck out 11 times of those. I mean, yeah, just, it, he's getting, it's not getting better, it's getting worse. No, it's getting worse. And, and again, there's a lot of these trends that I always would love to dig deeper as you can, where we look at like, okay, so what's the high K rates as far as uh, A's prospects go? Is there something in the water for catching prospects for the Blue Jays? There's something about the big power athletes. It, it was almost like in part of the development, they had a year where the Indians were just like, let's go crazy. You know, these guys can't hit, but when they do, they hit at 500 feet. Let's get Will Benson. Let's get Nolan Jones. Let's get Bobby Bradley. They're all the same player. They all <laughs> don't have great pitch recognition down to the will. Will Benson might be the most one of the most impressive athletes you've ever seen in, in person. Oh, he, he looks like the rock, like Dwayne right, Johnson. Yeah. I, I and Nolan Jones is a big dude. I remember one time I was on the uh, backfields over in Goodyear for the Indians and I'm standing next to Nolan Jones and I'm six foot four. You know, Eric, we've been together around. I'm a big dude. I'm six foot four. Yeah. And me and Nolan Jones are sitting standing next to each other. And he's just like a, like an inch, like a tiny little half inch taller than me. I'm like six foot three and a half. And Will Benson comes up to us and he makes you feel bad about yourself because he's like six <laughs> foot five. He's just jacked, but the dude can't hit 200. And he would be one of the most impressive athletes you've ever seen in your life. If he could hit 300, he'd be a number one overall fantasy player, but they've got these, these similar players or something in who one period of time, the prospects that they brought in and Nolan Jones is the one that got away with it because the high OBPs, but the K rates getting worse is powers fine. I've just never been overtly impressed with who he was as a player. They worked him in the outfield this year to see if they could get him, you know, maybe up sooner, but he's worse than he's ever been before. The K rate is astronomical. He can't hit left. He's becoming like uh, Jake Lamb. Like Jake Lamb, as a Diamondback fan, was one of the biggest liabilities. He had a season where he was literally the worst hitter in all of baseball versus lefties. Nolan Jones, if he's only a platoon player, the value is is plummeting. Like right now, I only see my desire to want Nolan Jones if I'm playing in an OBP league. You know, so so Clegg has probably got more to say on Nolan Jones if he's valuing OBP. Outside of that, yeah, he's outside my top 100. I'm not interested anymore. And how dare you, by the way, bring up George Valera negativity into this? We don't have to go into that. We can talk about that in a second. But how dare you, <laughs> sir? Hey, in my defense, okay, I'll, I'll throw my co my co-host is the one that added Valera. No, nah, you have to. You have to. Well, Clay, did you have any? Did you want to talk on Jones as far as OBP? I mean, I can, I could talk on Valera for a second, but what? What are, are you like? Still in on Jones as far as OBP goes, though? Uh, I'm struggling because you know he's always been such a high OBP guy, and even yeah. this year, you know, he's still 333 OBP because he walks at such a high clip. But you just look at what he's doing, and it's not good when he hits the ball. I mean, making he scorches it. I mean. He's got a near 52% hard hit rate, but his contact rate right now is 45%. So when you're not when you're making sub 50% contact, it doesn't really matter. I mean, his max EV right now of 114 is is very impressive. But again, it doesn't matter when you can't make the contact. And the strikeout rates, you know, have always pushed a little high, near 30%. And then you know, this year up to near 45%. 
I don't know. He's one that I'm really struggling where to value, especially like you mentioned for OBP purposes, because he's high OBP, but you know, everything else, the underlying stuff just doesn't look great. And so I'm really struggling where to put him at in as far as like OBP rankings, you know, for in the past, he's been top 50 for me, but I don't really know at this point. I'm struggling. Yeah. You know, and like you can get away with it in this age of baseball. You can get away with more deficiencies, I think, than you've ever been able to do before, where you can find these guys, guys that don't have impressive power. Take a a Josh Naylor. You know, he's just a good contact hitter, kind of always been weirdly out of shape, didn't have a position. He he felt like an analysis nightmare because it's like, well, what the hell you do with this guy? But like you found a way. Uh, There's guys with low hit tools, you know, with big power. They find a way. There's uh, high hit tools with no power. Luis Arise. You, You find ways in this game. But I think the key to it is being is having a version of pitch recognition. And I think pitch recognition may be worse than we thought on a guy like Nolan Jones. Like, is he in his head and too aggressive? What's the thing that's holding Joe Adele back right now? They, they lost trout. They, you know, Joe Adele was leading for a bit in, in the, uh, in homers in the minor leagues, but what's the issue? It's pitch recognition with Joe Adele, like your deficiencies. If you want to strike out and stuff like that. Okay. But you got to be able to have big league at bats and Joe Adele has struggled with having big league at bats. I think that's something that's becoming more apparent with Nolan Jones. Whatever the reason is, he's never been a high average hitter. He cannot hit lefties whatsoever. And teams are being are taking advantage more. So he's not able to balance the deficiency, which baseball gives you. Like I said, you can be bad in some area, but the game keeps evolving and changing and there's lower outcomes. It's like Homer, strikeout, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, high fastballs up. Like he doesn't have that in him. Like Jesus Sanchez is a perfect example of that. I loved Jesus Sanchez more than anybody on the planet for years and years. And he just got taken advantage of. He didn't walk. He struck out all the time. His pitch recognition was a little bit wonky. And then guess what? He saw more pitches. He saw more pitches. He developed. His bat speed kept going. He became more comfortable. And then what also happened? The game evolved. More high fastballs. That's something that was great on him. People stopped throwing uh, fastballs low or or even off-speed stuff as far as much low. And he was able to adjust to it. And the game, the game evolved to his deficiencies where that has not happened with Nolan Jones, because I'm not sure what you point to like, great. He can walk. That's about it. Like he can hit the ball really far and walk, but he can't hit the ball. So right, right. now he's going to be damned to no man's land for a little bit, but I don't know. There's other people that really like him. I never completely have and um out. And then Valera, um, I, I agree with you guys just not to beat this down. The problem I would say right now, he does have to move a little bit. Uh, but he hasn't played since May 12th. He got uh, he had like a weird twinge, I think, throwing in the outfield. They haven't put him on the IL, and he just hasn't played since, which I think is really odd. But there's only so many years you can hit like sub 220 or 200, and right. we just love the talent. He is one of the most beautiful swings. He has huge power. He's stealing more. He is uh, He's a pro's pro. He will get good, and I'll never fully give up on him. But the hype is coming down on him, and he it, he just has to move below some really talented players. Right, another one would be like freaking Peraza versus Valera, and I will not answer that. <laughs> <laughs> and he refuses to answer. I, that. I mean, I still lean Valera. Like I've always loved Valera, but that's you know, yeah. I, I, I think don't know. I'm very close in my rankings. I yeah, I'm struggling with with where to value. I mean, you mentioned like you know what he had an oblique injury. Is that what it? They I think I think this one was actually, if I remember correctly, it was uh, something in his arm. Like he okay. he threw from the out. I could be uh, screwing it up because he has lots of injuries, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the first time I actually ever met him was in the AZL, and uh, I caught him at a game, and then 
three games later, I was at the game. He like fractured his hand or it was his uh, hammock. It was his hammock. Yeah. And then I talked to him during the championship of AZL and he was, that's why I love the guy too. He's just great. We talked like a half an hour and he was, he wanted to come back, but they wanted to slow uh, play his hammock. Well, guess what? Every freaking year he's had an injury. So he has been very injury prone. So he's got all the stuff with him. And this latest one was some twinge, I think throwing from the outfield and they took him out. Yeah, and you get a factor that in too. Like he's had, maybe that has to factor in some of these hit tool concerns because he hasn't really had a chance to really gain momentum and have a long stretch of time on the field. But you, you got to factor in those injuries as well. Uh, we're going a little long here in this segment, so real quick, let's just uh, do one more each of you know a name you want to talk about rising or falling. Clegg, who's another name you want to talk about here? Well, I think mean, we mentioned the Indians and Jan Kinsey Noel's one that obviously has stood out and he's been jumping up a lot of people's boards and, you know, something in the off season kind of put me onto him when I was looking into him. And, you know, we had our first base uh, preview episode. I, I mentioned that he could be a potential breakout and, you know, he's looked awesome. I hate that the injury, we, he hadn't played in about a week now either. He was, I think hit by a pitch. Some said it was wrist. Some said it was got hit in the ribs. Uh, the reports are apparently positive after he got hit by the pitch, but he hasn't played since. And that's been six or seven days now. But you look at what he's done and, you know, 358, 380, 672 slash five home runs. You know, he's just scorching the ball over the, the field. He looks great and he looks the part, you know. he Honestly, to me, he looks bigger when you watch him on TV. He's listed at 6'1", 180. But he looks bigger than that to me. Yeah, he looks like, like he's pushing 210 right now. Yeah, like muscle. Ag- agreed. <laughs> I think so, too. He looks much bigger and, you know, he smacks the ball. He looks he's have a ton of raw power. And the hit tool seems to be developing. You know, even in 2019, he was 17 in rookie ball. He hit 287, which I thought was pretty impressive. But, you know, this year you've seen those contact rates go up some he's got 82 percent contact rate right now which has been really good you know he's hitting the ball hard max exit velo of, of 112 which is pretty impressive for a guy's age but again he's got big raw power and if the hit tool is steady there like if he can continue to show a solid hit tool i think he's gonna be a player man he's gonna really jump up boards he's he's definitely jumped up mine and you know i'm hoping he gets back healthy and gets back th- out there on the field and we keep seeing this solid performance. I know some are concerned. He's got a near 3% walk rate, 2.8%, but that's not the guy we've seen in the past. He's shown better plate discipline at a younger age in the past. So I think that comes around and, you know, he's even improved strikeout rates at each level with, with age. So, you know, pretty impressive there from that standpoint. So I think he's an excellent player and one that you can still probably get really cheap in dynasty leagues. You know, a lot of people aren't really onto him, but I think he could really take off. So I recommend going out and acquiring him. If you can. Yep. Great, great pick there. I think I know where you're going to go with this Welsh, but who's another name you want to talk about here? Yeah, you knew I was going to go with it. I actually mentioned it before the show. I just thought Nick Prado. Um, that's another one of those. Maybe that's who you thought I was going to go with. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's one of those guys. It was 2017, just like Jesus Sanchez. I went all in, and then he spent two years of really rough development. And this is, he's one of these examples I'd show, like, you know, hey, you're going to go give up on George Valera. George Valera, since 2018, only has 220 at bats in the minor leagues. Like, that's just not enough to, to evaluate a full sample size of, of anything right now. And um, Nick Prado is a perfect example of, of that turnaround. Maybe a little bit of that rubbed off from Bobby Witt because him uh, him and Witt, Prado and Witt are uh, roommates. So it seems to be rubbing off a little bit. 
he it looks like he's made a complete change. You know, he's always been kind of a walk guy, walked around 10% of the time in 2019. I think his career was right around 10%. He's up to just under 20% walk rate. His K rate is just about to get to the 20s, which he has floated in the 30s, and his swing got really long. What I loved about him is I called him the prototype. He was a prototypical um, first base when I saw him. Big body, great defender, really good defender, beautiful textbook swing. I had scouts and everybody agreeing with me um, about this was one of the most beautiful swings we'd ever seen. Then it got long and then it got weird and the Royals got weird. It looks like he shortened it up. He also steals bases at like a ridiculously weird rate. He right. stole um, he stole 49 bases between 17 and 2019. He's already got four this year. He's up near the league leaders and homers. Swing looks refined. A 450 OBP, a 315 average, slugging over 700. He's doing this at double A, and he is still 22 years old after having massive, massive struggles. This is the development. This is a player that I banked on. And just know that he is a top 100 prospect again. And you want to talk about buying in on cheap. This is a guy that is getting closer. The defensive the defensive aptitude for him will keep him on the field always to work through some struggles. And I don't think people have caught back up into him being a really, really solid prospect. So Prado would be someone I would be checking in on from everybody. Yep. And as, as we mentioned on prospect one, a few days ago, you know, Kelnick was my guy. Everyone showed me the love when he came up, everyone show Welsh to love with Prado Prado's his boy. I'm not quite as high. I like Prado. I'm not quite as high as Welsh is. That's his boy, but yeah, definitely. Can you imagine being that being me? By the way, it's like, hey, <laughs> hey, uh, Cross gets Kelnick, but but when Prado comes up, like, how <laughs> sad is that that I'm the Prado guy? Like, people, when Jesus Sanchez and Prado come up, people will be super excited for me. But no, remember, I said you have to give me Julio. Like, you oh, get Julio, Kelnick, yes, yes, I get yes. Julio. But you are right, Prado and Jesus Sanchez are definitely the funny thing has happened over the last three years specifically Prado, not so much Asia Sanchez because he hasn't done anything until this year good, but anytime those guys do anything good, I get people like adding me to threads and stuff on Twitter, which <laughs> I love. I absolutely love that people think of me with those players, especially now that they're both playing really, really good. 2018 yeah. and 19, not so much fun when you get tagged on, hey, Prado got his first hit in three months, you know? <laughs> right. It's kind of like on the, on the flip side with me on the major league side of things. Adabito Montesam, I've been a very low on him. Wow. And when he was last September, I would like six or seven tags a day. Like, oh, Montesam, another home run and two there steals today. I was like, all right, guys, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Um, yeah, it, it's, it is funny and it's awesome how people associate certain players, whether it be prospects or whatnot, with us as analysts. That's, you got to love and that. It's good. It's yeah. good, man. It, it builds connection. And, um, you know, the same thing happens on the inverse. I get guys that I'm just not interested in. It happens, especially at the major league level. Like, I've been so wanting to fight against Adolis Garcia, but it's so stupid. He's so good <laughs> and it's so ridiculous. And it just happens. But that's part of the process. And that's why I probably do it, do it like nauseatingly sometimes. But I really want people to understand because like prospect like consumers and stuff can get ridiculous sometimes. It can be so ridiculous and also very, we all can get selfish, but we also get like, oh, I own this guy in my dynasty or I have, you know, a collection of autograph cards of this guy. And people get just so about their player and they don't understand the, the how this works. And I, and I just try to remind people just, you know, work through the process. If you are in a 10 or 20 team minor league system and you're just churning out guys, okay, do your thing. But know that, you know, develop development is, I say this all the time. It's just not linear. It's not one path and how it works. You know, Kopech struggled for years 
when he got to the higher levels, could not get anything going, looked bad. And the minute he got to the majors, oh my God, we're back to ace level stuff. And it just, it happens with these guys. Odolis Garcia is another example of that. He was just a nobody. You know, he was this right. older Cuban guy that signed and he didn't do anything impressive. Uh, Rosarena, kind of the same way. And sometimes it just clicks. The best we can do is try to tell you about the tools that impress us the most, not just the stats, but the guys that have done something over time that it can be in the back of your head. So, you know, even if a guy sucks for a bit, like Jesus Sanchez, Sucks for a while, gets released. No one cares about him. You have the aptitude to know like, oh, this is a guy though that has checkmarked some of the stuff. And once he starts to get going, I jump. I want to jump. And that's what we're telling yeah. you guys when we're talking about some of these guys. We're like, oh, hey, you know, Oswald Peraza, this is a guy that is jumping. And, uh, you know, Noel, this is another guy. Like, keep that in the back of your mind so you guys, you guys can make the decisions. We can't, like, always make them for you. Right. See, and that's why Welsh is one of the best in the world, as I mentioned in the intro, huh. for bits of knowledge speaker like in the world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so before we hit the break here, another quick name here I want to talk about. Well, I, an arm I've been very high on ever since the draft back in 2019. Second rounder for the Twins, Matt Cantorino. Just a really lively arm. You know, plus, maybe, I want to say double plus, but easily a plus fastball. Can sit mid-90s with that good movement on it. Two really good breaking balls, curve and slider. You know, both great as above average to plus. You know, really has a great feel for spinning the ball. Changeup is at least average. It's, it's a usable fourth pitch there. And, you know, his command and control, I think, has gotten better since the draft as well. He's probably average to a tick above average in both departments there. This year in high A, so far four starts, 18 innings pitched. ERA is sitting at one whip is 0.72 4.4% walk rate 51.5% strikeout rate. He was 294 before the season in my top 300. So a guy that was like, all right, he's there because I think the upside is there. Like, like uh, Welsh mentioned the boxes, the check are there and just need to see the performance. You're seeing it now. I have him up near 150 at this point. Wow. I think he could be top 100 by the end of the year. I think he's that good of an arm. I think like I, said, I think he could end up being the best arm to come out of this current twin system. And I like Belazovic. I was I just, like I was just about to ask you that if yeah. it was Belazovic or uh, Canarino. Yeah, I, I like both, you know, um, Belazovic and, and Yohan Duran. I think they're solid arms. But I think Canarino might be the best of the bunch. We'll see how this plays over the next 12 to 18 months on their way up to Minnesota. But I think he could be the best of the bunch. All right, let's go ahead and take a quick break here. We'll come back on the other side and get into a great discussion about who the heck is the top pitching prospect in baseball right now. So don't go anywhere. Montgomery County, Maryland is where businesses go to be next. Home to a highly skilled, diverse workforce, a thriving business community, competitive incentives, and more. MoCo will help transform your business. Visit bnext.thinkmoco.com to see how we can help you be next. All right, welcome back from the break. Got Chris Welsh from In This League and Prospect One with us. Just talk some prospect risers and fallers. Now we're going to get into a top pitching prospect in baseball discussion because unlike the last handful of years, this is not a cut and dry, you know, it's this guy or it's this guy. You can ask 10 different prospect analysts. You'd probably get six or seven different answers like you've seen um 
Jeff Ponce from Prospects Live a few days ago say it's Grayson Rodriguez. He's definitely in that mix. You know, Gore has been that guy for the last couple of years. He's had his issues. So there's really, like we were talking before we came on the air, I think there's like a definitive top tier of guys. And I'll list like my definitive top tier, and this is in the order I have them ranked. Just a little spoiler here. I personally have moved, and I, I hinted at it on Prospect 1, so if you did, if you listened to that, which you should, uh, you might know who I'm talking about here. I have moved George Kirby to my top pit- pitching prospect in baseball right now. One spot ahead of Mackenzie Gore. So th- my top tier is Kirby, Mackenzie Gore, Sixto Sanchez, Grayson Rodriguez, Pearson, Emerson Hancock, Max Meyer, Matt Manning, Alec Manoa, Logan Gilbert, Asa Lacey, Hunter Green, DL Hall, and Nick Ladola. That's 14 names, all within tw- between 26 and 50 in my overall rankings here. You can make an argument for really any one of those guys, and I wouldn't have an issue with it. Uh, Clegg, I'll go to you first here. Who is right now? Who is your top pitching prospect? Is it still Gore, or like what are your what are your thoughts on this whole entire thing? It's tough, and like you said, you could go <laughs> any direction you wanted to go. I've debated. I've got Max Meyer at one right now. Grayson Rodriguez right after that. George Kirby third. I could go with any of those. They're I think they're all three stellar, and then really this whole tier, like you mentioned, like our top ten. Like you, you had fourteen. I've got. 10 I could probably go 12 in this tier of guys I think just any of them could rise up and be that number one pitching prospect but I've got Max Meyer in that spot right now I think he's pitching right now I'm curious to see how he's doing but yeah like I said this is a fun discussion I think this should be a really fun topic to talk about because there's so many guys and there's no clear cut and we've had clear cuts in the past you know Forrest Whitley at one point then Mackenzie Gore held that spot for for several years and now you know, it's kind of up for debate and up for grabs. Anybody could take that spot, and especially without a season last year, you know, we don't have a ton of data on a lot of these guys. And so it could be anyone's game for the one spot, and it'll be fun to see how this plays out over the season. Yeah, so, like, what Welsh, has your kind of thought process changed at all on how you evaluate and more so, like, rank pitching prospects against hitting prospects in your, in your rank. This is with, with how we've seen a lot of even the big names struggle a lot lately, more so than we used to. Like, it like this just takes a lot longer for these guys to get going. Yeah. I mean, definitely a bit, but I've always kind of done that. Uh, James Anderson from RotoWire was on with me a couple of weeks back and we actually, we, we tackled that specific thing about like evaluating and something me and him have always shared is, we're going to lower pitching prospects. Um, it doesn't mean I've always done it, you know, years and years ago, Alex Reyes, I was like insane with and Gore. I have been very, you know, pound the table about Gore for, for many, many years. But at the end of the day, how hard I hold on to a pitching prospect is not very high. I don't like trades centered around them because of injuries and also the volatility of it. Um, this actually, I would throw out, might be one of the best times to acquire pitching prospects because our narrative is so much about not overvaluing. And I don't think there's clear cut guys that you can look to, but the problem is, is I think the value it's like uh it's like cryptocurrency with starting pitchers right now. It's just whoever the daily guy is, is who just rockets up. There, there's not like a long standing thing. Cause there's such a big tier. So yeah, like how I value them is different. Um, but I've always, push them down. I probably have less starting pitchers than most people inside my top 100. And if you send me, you know, tweets or emails about like, Hey, I, you know, 
I can move Wander. Uh, I got this offer for Wander, and it's just, you know, like, pfft, whatever. Some, like, middle-hitting pro. It's like a- Alex Martin, uh, Austin Martin, and Grayson Rodriguez. Like, that actually might sound good to some people. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that centered around big pitching prospects. I just don't want to do it. But I struggle with it daily, you know, because McKenzie Gore was my guy. He was my guy for a long time. Um, five of my top ten pitchers, I have seen multiple times in person. Like I have really, really good looks at watch plenty of video and study and talk to people about lots of them, but five of them I've seen handfuls. Oh, well, I shouldn't say that. I just saw Asa Lacey um, during minor league spring training the other day. And the others I've seen multiple extended looks at, and I try not to skew that, but I try to work them against each other. And a perfect example of this is like George Kirby. So I was, I was the one that tweeted about it. I was at Kirby's first start out here, his first like, you know, start in 2021 in extended uh, minor league spring training. And he was insane. I've always loved Kirby because he's a command pitcher. And that's another thing I've always tried to push myself a little bit more towards is I used to be insane about strikeouts. Give me strikeouts, give me strikeouts. But I've moved over the last couple of years into like, I want really high command pitchers that yeah. are going to be able to get the strikes in that ways. And that, and Kirby was a perfect example of that as he came in. This was a guy that could paint the zones with big stuff, and I loved him, and he showed off. He had 102 on the radar, a scout had told us. He was sitting between 98 and 100 the whole time. He was dropping off-speed stuff, but he still made, he could make mistakes, and he got caught, and he threw a high fastball that Justin Foscue hit 450 feet and just absolutely destroyed in that game. Otherwise, he was untouchable, but by these low A guys. So that's why I, I temper myself. And I think I'm making less moves than everybody else in the industry as far as pitchers go, because we're we're small sample size. And that might be wrong, but it could potentially pay off. So my pitchers, it's hilarious that we got, um, Chris, who'd you say? You're, did you say Max Meyer was your number one? Yeah, Max Meyer. Love it. I mean, I, I've now, we've now gotten five different people that have said <laughs> different pitchers and it, it, it is truly, truly uh, leading up to what we said. I've still got six though, because like, I know the injuries out there and you could build that into the concern of the value, but the stuff hasn't changed. And he looked incredible in his start, like more advanced than I've seen a young 20, 21 year old pitcher look. And he's just dealing with some arm stuff. He has Tommy John. Okay. Then he's going to come off it. So I have six though. I'm still defending Logan Gilbert, even though it hasn't been a great start. Uh, Logan's someone that I really, really believe in, and I, I don't think he's flashy, but I've got Gilbert, I got Manoa, I got Meyer, and I got Kirby. That's my top five, and the biggest takeaway from that is McKenzie Gore is not in there. He just looks so bad. He looks so bad with his command. Nothing like I saw before, and without his command, his stuff kind of looks average. And that's not the yep. case. That's not something you see with a six toe or a George Kirby is a perfect example. George Kirby's stuff can like fall off a little bit, but it still looks electric. Gore's stuff looks average right now with bad command. So I, I've moved off of him, unfortunately. And it's a, it's a huge tier, dude. I probably could justify 15 pitchers that could go from any from number one down to fifteen. I think there might be sub tiers in there, like Yo, six to six, six to to Kirby is like I think one tier. That's five pitchers I've got, and then um, you know there's a, there's maybe two more tiers in there, but there's probably fifteen guys, and it's changed. And um, as we say, the valuation is different now. There might be buying opportunities for some people, but you got to got to pay attention daily. I think because like where DL Hall would have been an incredible guy to buy like last year if he goes out and has one good pitching start and pipeline 
puts a tweet out about it. And then, you know, prospects live, they've there, no one's been more on uh, Orioles pitching prospects than them. They tweet about it. All of a sudden DL hall, will probably cost you a top five pitching value than it would maybe a top yeah. 15. So it's the most volatile, I think, of the prospect trades right now is the top tier of pitching because it literally changes on a daily basis. Oh, it, it does. Like It's it's amazing how quickly values can change. Like you mentioned someone puts out a tweet, someone says this, someone says that, you know, they have a couple bad starts, a couple good starts. And it just changes so quickly. Like, for example, going into the season, my top three in order were Mackenzie Gore, uh, Nate Pearson. Okay, Sixto was third, but I had Matt Manning fourth. And look, three of those four, like Sixto kind of like stayed stagnant for me because he hasn't done anything. <laughs> I can't really change him when he hasn't done anything. But like we mentioned, Mackenzie Gore has looked bad. Like oh. he has a 5.94 ERA. This year, walk rate is above 12%. He's not striking anybody out. 1.8 whip. You mentioned this, the command and control, which we kind of heard some. There was some issues with that at the all-site last year. Now it's being you know electrified and amped up because it's happening in game action now. And we have statistical data to back up these you know reports we heard last year. So he's kind of worried me right now. But, you know, I'm not like moving him way down. Like I, I have bumped him down a bit, but I still think there's you know a lot of upside there, obviously. I saw the top 10. I saw the yeah. top 10. You know, by Absolutely. the way, I would throw in, I'm curious what you guys think about this, but like, I want to also say, I think the rapid daily changes is wrong. I don't think it's good. And I think it might be, sh in some ways, might be showing some, um, I don't know, just improper valuation that I don't think is everybody's fault. Uh, it's just, it's a weird time. You know, we didn't have last yep. year and we've had all this weirdness going on, but that's why I don't want to go crazy. And and I could be proven wrong at the end of the day, because it's so crazy, you might need to move with the wins as much as we possibly have ever before. So I think from a buying perspective, that's wrong. And I would hold tight to the talent that I know. But if you are a seller it's the greatest thing on the planet because any given week, your prospect pitch, your pitching prospects value could look at Nick Lodolo. Nick Lodolo was probably on very little and very few top 100 lists. He could go anywhere as the top five pitching prospect right now in people's yep. minds. So if you're a seller, it's the best time. That's why I don't want to be a buyer. I'm a buy low pitching prospect guy right now in any capacity. And I'm a sell high. And guess what? No pitching prospect is untouchable. Not a single one. Hundred percent agree, and yeah, I'm right there with you on that one as well. Like, look at Alec Manoa right now; he's he's a great one. That's just kind of you know four starts. He went from a back end top 100 guy for most, outside of James Anderson, who has been really pushing him for a while. And now I've heard some people be like, "Oh, he's the best pitching prospect in baseball." I'm like, "Well, let's let's chill a bit." It like, looks amazing. It looks amazing. Oh, it looks absolutely think amazing. Think about what you get for him right now. Think about oh, what you could get. You could go and get. I'll bet you. You could get Sixto Sanchez from Manoa right now. You yep. want to let's Agreed. let's take off pitching for a second. I'll bet you with Alec Manoa, even Grace, Grayson Rodriguez is getting the big push. If he were like a, a wrestler, they'd be getting the big old you know championship belt push. He's getting right yep. now. <laughs> you could get, I think, legit top twenty-five prospects for them. I would if you could get Jeter Downs or Tristan Casas or Austin Martin. I mean, you're not going to get Vidal Bruhan, but you know you can get one of those guys, Noelvi. You know, I was a little critical of some just chaotic stuff that was going on with Noel V. <laughs> he looks insane. I'll bet you could get those guys for 
definitely Manoa, maybe even a Grayson Rodriguez. I really think you yep. could do that. Do you think, I mean, do you guys agree? Do you think you could oh, pull absolutely. off a top 25 hitting prospect for Manoa or Grayson Rodriguez? Those are the two, you know, big pitching guys right now. Absolutely. Would you do yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, the, the landscape's crazy. Like you mentioned the daily moves, and it's funny in a lot of my dynasty leagues how, you know, one start or one good week from a hitter is like everybody jumps on these prospects and, you know, I'm selling all day. Like I'm going full win now mode in every league because people are are buying prospects based off a little bit of hype. And so, no, I think it's a great selling time. I'm curious what kind of like already established MLB pitcher you would trade Manoa for right now. Oh, geez. Would you, um, uh, first thing that came to my mind, would you, nah, this might be too high. I was thinking Pablo Lopez, that might be too high. Uh, are you are we talking dynasty we're talking dynasty sure yeah yeah, dynasty. yeah. what i are you saying so would i trade manoa to get pablo yeah uh, that's the person that popped in my mind was pablo lopez i, I don't think know why, i have but... them really close to be honest with you which might actually make people mad um <laughs> i've got yeah I, I, my initial reaction was pablo i got pablo higher so yeah i would uh you know i from a rank perspective, they are a, a bit separated. I'm not sure, sh- but from like a value, I think they're dead on. I think you could do a little bit better. And th- there's a part of me that thinks like Manoa's upside might be a little bit bigger than Pablo, which again, might that might be upsetting to some people. The- no, I, 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 would agree, I would agree with that. Yeah. But like, um, I mean, what about Savali? Is that too mm. much? That I don't know you can pull that one off. I, I, I think Savali and Lopez are kind of in the same ballpark for me. Yeah. I would, yeah. again, I, I, I think you can say Manoa is upside. Molly, I'd probably go Manoa. Molly's going Manoa all day. Yeah, Molly's going to pull it off a little bit. Okay, how about yeah. this one? Luis Severino. Luis oh, Severino coming good. off of the injury. Uh, mm. You know, he'll be back probably full strength next year because he'll pitch a little bit sometime this year. Manoa or Severino? That's so tough. <laughs> that is tough. Uh, I want to say Sevy because I don't think he's. Sevy. Yeah, I don't think he is like top fifteen potential. But just all the injuries on that throwing arm, shoulder, everything. Yeah, I'll go Sevy there. Yeah. But I mean, he's you know done what? It for... It's it's a great thing to think about though. Trying to value like the uh, established versus the. It's it's always a great conversation. You know what I would what would be hilarious in this, and this would be um, a Ray Butler flex. But like, think about this. Think if Trevor Rogers was still prospect eligible, he would hands down be the number one pitching prospect in in prospect land of MILB. But he's not right. there, and I know you know Ray was really big on him. If he were in that discussion, it would be fascinating. But I mean, I would trade Manoa for him all day long. That again, yeah. it's you know, we get blue in the face. Uh, every consensus wise you're not going to find anybody that feels the same way. You will hear the same names. I think we'll all kind of have a general same feel of names in different spots. Some feeling better, you know, the, the ones that are consistently out there. I mean, people are down on six because of the injury and he's not playing, but you're going to hear Manoa. You're going to hear Kirby. I still defend Gilbert, but he's not in that. You're going to hear uh, Manoa, Meyer, Kirby, and Grayson Rodriguez. Those are probably the top four. I would trade all of those at the high, if it's out there, if people really believe they're just the number one pitching prospect and they're going to trade the farm, you should do it because it's a pitching prospect. No one's safe. Yep. Absolutely. That's why in the uh, 30 team dynasty uh, D1S30 rock that Chris and I are both, Clegg and I are both in, 
Uh, I've traded away mostly all my top pitching prospects. I traded away Manning, et cetera. Got a lot of win now pieces. Because like you said, I'm all for trading away pitching prospects for more proven commodities. Absolutely. And, and not even just the uh, proven commodities. What what is what gets forgotten in this is the value of the pitching prospects that are lower, the next crew up. Think about yeah. some of these guys. Like Kirby doesn't exactly fit in this. Um, a couple of these guys don't, but guys like Gilbert, Manoa, I would even say Grayson Rodriguez kind of belongs in there. Um, you move down a little bit, guys like Ryan Weathers, Shane McClanahan. These were guys that weren't seen as like top 50 or 60 pitching prospects maybe a couple years ago, and they skyrocketed up. Well, guess what? There are those guys that are sitting in that top 75 to 150 rank range for people that are going to eventually move back up. And it, the pool, you know, people get so consumed and like, well, you've got this guy at 74, but so-and-so has this guy at 68. And it's like, okay, dude. But like, you don't realize the that range can still be so close. Who Eric has at 75. I might feel the same way, but have at 125. It doesn't mean that they're that far apart. There right. are pitchers that are, Breaking out, and I know we we're going to talk about this, and I'm kind of setting us up here. There are up and coming pitchers to bet on. Where if you could trade a, I kind of don't want to trade George Kirby to be honest with you, which might say more about how I value him. But like, you could trade a Max Meyer or a Manoa, a Manoa for a top end pitching prospect, and then come back down and get and and take a gamble on a Shane Boz or a Cade Cavalli or a Luis Medina or. Um, you know, a Rowanzi Contreras or, you know, maybe you can't even buy in on those guys. There's other guys that could be the next wave. And then guess what? You've just replenished your trade value for later. Yep. Or your rotation. Yeah, absolutely. Very good point there. Uh, before we get into those next guys, two, uh, the last two guys in that kind of elite tier, I wanted to talk about, get your guys' thoughts on, you know, like I said, two, I kind of alluded to my, uh, a couple minutes ago, Matt Manning, Nate Pearson, both were top four guys for me entering the season. They have slid down a little bit. Manning is just giving up batting practice, basically, at this point. like <laughs> Five starts, he's allowed 10 home runs. That's ridiculous. And the you know the fastball has been solid. Curveball is, is a great pitch. It's, uh, that's an easy plus pitch. The changeup is still isn't there. Like When I saw him uh, t- back in 2019 in AA, when I drove down to Hartford, Connecticut, the changeup, it flashed above average, had a good movement profile on it. But you, you could tell that the the feel for it, the overall command of it just wasn't there. And it's still not there. It hasn't gotten better. It's either the same as it was or maybe worse. But so you look at him like, does he have a third pitch right now? And then you go to Nate Pearson, who I still think has frontline upside. Like I've seen the, the electric 70 grade fastball. I think the slider is 70 grade. He flashes at least an average changeup and a curveball, though they're both well behind. But he has all these injuries, on, you know, on his profile. And yeah, some of them are freak, like the the comebacker that broke his forearm. You can't really like that's not on him. But you know, now he has the shoulder impingement thing. He's had a groin thing. It's like there's been a lot of little things that have added up so far. So I just want to get you know for each of you, how concerned are you on each of these guys, and do you think they still have? frontline upside chris uh clegg what do you think um i'm definitely a little more concerned about manning because i thought he was a little more steady and you know i've always been a little bit lower on pearson than you i thought there was some legitimate bullpen risk with him and so you know the injuries have been frustrating the you know just lack of performance say this year when he has pitched you know 
didn't look great. And so definitely some concerns there with Pearson, but Manning is more just, he's just been consistently bad. You know, he just hasn't gotten it going, which, you know, I'll give him time. I mean, there was some reports that he was struggling last year as well. So now when you hear that and it carries over into this year, it's, I think there's definitely cause for concern. And you wondered last year when the team brought up Mize and they brought up Scooball, like, you know, where was Manning in the mix of all of it? And, yeah. you know, that, and still, you know, we're still sitting here and now in AAA, he's, you know, 23 years old and he's, he's struggling. He just doesn't seem to have it right now. And you wonder if this is just something that carried over from last season or is still trying to get going. I don't know what the, the biggest issue is here. I mean, you mentioned the, the home run rates, ridiculous. He's not really striking guys out at a high clip. And when you look back in 2019 and, you know, he didn't have a crazy high strikeout rate by any means, but he was still solid and it's down a little bit. The walks are up a hair. So I don't know. There are, there are some concerns and I don't know right now he's like at the back end of that tier that we're talking about. And maybe that's wrong. Like Welsh just mentioned, like adjusting on the fly like this, but I haven't liked what I've seen from him, especially when a couple starts that I've watched of his and the numbers just aren't there either. And so he's kind of pushed to the back tier, like around 10 top 10, like, 10th overall as far as pitchers and so I don't know really where to go with him at this point and I would say I am concerned I'm probably more concerned with Manning than Pearson just because I've always been a little lower on Pearson but yeah that's kind of where I stand yeah let, let me uh, I gotta do a quote here they just had a piece on Manning a live looks piece on, over on Prospects Live by a writer named Jacob Bose and uh, I'm gonna quote one of these his sentences in here uh, says while he was able to navigate through this Manning, while he was able to navigate through the scattered hits for the most part, much of the contact against Manning was loud, and this is the part I want to emphasize. And batters appeared comfortable in the box against him. So, yeah, there's definitely some concern there for Manning. Uh, third pitch, overall command issues. There is a little bit of bullpen risk. I hate to say that because I love Manning, but um, yeah, both these guys have kind of slid down. Like, I'm so really high on Pearson. I still think the upside is there for front line. Just because the stuff is so electric, the bat missing potential, command and control was decent enough. It's not great, but decent enough. So I still think that Pearson can turn it around. Um, well, let me ask you this: right now, you got Pearson, you got Manoa. Which one do you like more? Oh, Manoa! Like not even remotely close. Not uh, even close for you. Yeah, you know, because I'll tell you, I you know what? I just said that, and I just like created my own sub tier again, where I was like, oh, it could be fourteen <laughs> guys, but if I say it's not close, then maybe it's really not. You know, I'm actually kind of on the opposite end of, of where you guys are with that, where I, and I've seen Pearson, I uh, was in the fall league and, and he's pumping 103, 104. And I chatted with him a bit and he's talked to, you know, he's a hard worker and he definitely has uh, two plus pitches when he can command them. Uh, he's had to take some off the fastball uh, to make it efficient. And that's plenty of guys have to end up doing that, which I think also could lead to, teams looking at the efficiency of a player being like, well, this guy can hit 100 and 203, but he's got to throw it, you know, 97 so he can, you know, control it and do anything with it. Um, But he's tried, you know, he's tried to go to driveline and he's done stuff to to continue to be better. But, you know, the Tigers openly said they wanted to slow roll Manning. Like they purposely didn't want to push him too far. I think it is, you could look at like Scooble jumping above him as a little bit of concern, but maybe this is similar to I'm not saying I really love either one of these guys is I never really have been crazy on them, but maybe this is similar to the Gore thing where they've gotten to a point in their development where they see, all right, we've got to fix this thing. 
Uh, I'm not sure it's so much about necessarily command. I think he's had some rough goes in early minor leagues and he's been hampered by homers, but Manning has had some really good outings. You know, he's had some good spacing of like a couple innings and stuff like that, where, you know, Gore has just been a disaster, but I've never been a huge Nate Pearson guy. And I'd also point this out. Manning might be proof in point. One of these guys that the, the developmental loss has struggled the most, because if you go back, and look at, at who he's been as far as, you know, his minor league career, he's been efficient. You know, he's been like a three to sub three ERA guy strikes out, doesn't walk a whole bunch. And then guess what? This is the anomaly from 19 to 21. His ERA in five games is inflated. He's walking more batters. He's, he's already given up 10 home runs, which here's a spoiler alert. He has never given up 10 homers in a minor league season. As a matter of fact, this is 2016 to 2018 combined. This is more homers than those. So this is a little bit of an anomaly in this missed time where Pearson, we even saw last year. And the struggles have started to mount up into 2020 with the regular season and into the minors a little bit. I think these both could be two-pitch pitchers, but I think Pearson is a little bit pushed more towards maybe a future bullpen role. I don't think they want that for either one of these guys. And I think Manning is going to be slow rolled. So... I'm going to lean Matt Manning. I don't feel super, super aggressive on either one of these guys, but I, I kind of have clumped Manning and Gore together in this elite stuff tier where it's off right now. So maybe that's a yep. subcategory that I have of these guys that have something has gone awry over this last year and a half of craziness, but they have a track record of elite level production and Pearson has had that, but I've seen some looks on Pearson and I think he can get hittable when the fastball is not spinning and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I'd, I'd pick Manoa over all those guys right now, but I have Manning above Pearson. Interesting. Yeah. I think there definitely is bullpen risk here for both these guys. Then again, with their two pitch mix, you know, the fastball curve for Manning fastball slider for Pearson, they could be, you know, guys that could slide into a late inning role uh, and be electric there. So Still some you know pa different paths to fantasy relevance there, but definitely very concerning. But two that I'll definitely keep an eye on here moving forward to see if they can turn it around, especially Manning. Like he's just those 10 home runs and five start. That's ridiculous. Like it's, two it's, it's, that's it's, ridiculous. It's an out, it just it's not like it's not real life. Like th th this happens with players, you know, like levels right. change and, and assignments change and early season adjustments. And also, you know, this is what I mentioned with Kopech earlier. Sometimes these guys are in heavy developmental work. You know, they've got to get back. They got to get a feel for a pitch. They're throwing it more. That I mean, I would say that would be something I would point with Gore, except Gore just cannot command anything right now. Like, you know, Manning may be going through this process or, you know, maybe he's getting squeezed on the fastball, trying to work on stuff. I don't know. That, that's what's so difficult about this. And this year makes it so hard for me. So I, I look at both of these guys and I think Pearson's more difficult to buy low on. I'd be buying low on Matt Manning if it's available. I just don't think it's done with. And I think those homers are just so absurdly it's such an absurdly stupid thing to focus on like he gave up a whole bunch of homers when he he literally had never done this i think he had 15 career homers in four minor league seasons and this year he has 10 it's an outlier i just don't buy it yeah i i think i would buy low on both these guys i still have some confidence in, in each but obviously depends on the price but yeah, yeah def definitely not a good start to the, to the 2021 season for either of these two Let's move on past these guys here because everyone always wants to know who I, who's the next the next names we should be looking for. And some of these names we're going to talk about here obviously are, are well-known names, but they're not in that elite tier, but definitely have the potential to be. The two that immediately popped in my mind, and it would have been three 
but Matt Allen unfortunately had to undergo mm. Tommy John. I think he still has that, but you know, we talked about him plenty in this show, so I'll move on past Matt Allen. But the other two that immediately popped to my mind, Mick Abel, Daniel Espino. You know, Espino it has some of the best, both these guys have some of the best stuff in the minors. It's both, you know, very young, both teenagers. Is Espino 20 yet? I don't know. I think I, he just turned, yeah, he turned 20 in uh, January. So he's 20 okay, years so, old. Yeah, but still both very young, elite stuff, you know, flashing three plus pitches. Espino has, you know, the plus fastball, maybe even double plus, you know, getting into that territory. He's been sitting upper 90s, hitting triple digits a lot this year. You know, great movement on it. You know, the, he has the two different breaking balls that have both shown to be plus offerings in any given start. It's, you know, the thing with him is, all right, how does the command and control come along? And I think it's, you know, come along a little bit here. He still has a lot of work to do. He's far from a finished product, but he is definitely a prospect that could be, you know, if we have this same exact conversation fast forward a year, you know, May, June, 2022, he could be a guy that we're talking about in that top tiers. He has that type of upside and he's in Cleveland. We've been kind of, you know, rocking Cleveland here for how they develop some of their hitting prospects. But as we know, they are one of the best orgs when it comes to developing pitching. And then Mick Abel, you know, he's still kind of getting his feet wet major league level. He's only, you know, a couple innings here, a couple innings there and it starts, but you know, Chris and I have talked about him at nauseum on this show. We both love Mick Abel. You know, I I kind of look at him and see a young Steven Strasburg. I know that's incredibly lofty, but just the stuff is there. You know, the, the ceiling is front line. So those are the two guys, you know, maybe throw Matt Allen in there. You can get him on a buy low because he's hurt right now. Those are the guys I would look at to be, all right, these are the guys that could be in this elite tier next year. Clegg, who are a couple of names for you? Yeah, a couple that have really stood out to me this year have been Simeon Woods Richardson, and he's one that I thought could make this jump, and he's been quite impressive this year. I know you got a live look at him and you know yeah. looked pretty good. He said his command tapered off a little bit as the start went on, and uh, the strikeout stuff is is definitely there. You know, it's a little bit of walk rate issues, you know, 3.79 per nine. Not terrible, 10%. You know, we can live in that area. He's been lower in the past, so we'll see if that kind of trends downward. And he's looked great with a 2.37 ERA and a 116 whip so far. You mentioned a couple of things you told me about his arsenal and it looked really good with the fastball and you know the changeup. And he's added a pitch this year, correct? Yep, slider. He's slider. Yeah. He's, he was burying it in the dirt a lot, even in pregame warmups, but it had good movement. It was sharp break. So if he can kind of get a better feel for that, maybe more repetitions, um, hone that in, that could be a legitimate offering for him. Yeah, I think so. And that's and that's been pretty impressive from what I've seen from him. And another that's really been impressive actually from this last year's draft class was was Cade Cavale. And he's been mm, been yeah. stellar so far. And you know, everything I've seen of him looked excellent and great arsenal. And he's one that came out, and, you know, we kind of some unknowns out of coming out of Oklahoma last year and some question marks. And he's kind of silenced those. He's you know pitched twenty almost twenty eight innings now, and he's had a one six three ERA below Sub one whip. You mentioned the strikeout rate above forty percent. The walk is seven point three percent, and the arsenals looked really good. How he mixes his pitch as well. The command I think has been a little better than advertised out of the draft, and so he's one that's really stood out to me. And I think Cavale could be in for a big bump if this does continue. I know health's been an issue in the past, so we'll see if uh, he can stay durable throughout the year. But yeah, both those guys are exciting ones to me that I think could could really make 
jump up into that top tier by the end of this year. Yeah, love both those names. Well, shoot a couple you got. Yeah, Cavalli was one of those leads of minor leagues and uh, strikeouts. I, I got three different names for you. One of my favorites has been since the draft, Bobby Miller with the Los mm-hmm. Angeles Dodgers, who's a two, you know, big plus fastball plus slider. He's got a couple different variants. I think he's throwing kind of a splitter. He's got a changeup in there. He struck out ten with a one one ERA so far in three starts this minor league season and high. I think he's actually pitching today as we're recording this as well. Uh, he has been phenomenal and he has been at task. I was talking with Cody Hosey. Uh, in the off season, there's a third base prospect for the Dodgers. And I kept like prodding him on Bobby Miller. Cause I was just like, Bobby, Bobby's big six foot five, two twenty Dodger. I, I think, I think Bobby Miller could like rocket through the system. Uh, I think he's going to be a double a soon. I think if he continues to dominate, he could be a mid rotation guy next year. Bobby Miller is going to rocket up on the more speculative side, someone that Eric and I have both talked about in different respects over the last couple of years. I think you did it one year and then I did it the year before as our breakout prospect was Luis Medina pitcher with the New York Yankees. His problem was electric, electric fastball plus plus, but he could not command anything. Well, he's got it together this year. Now it's at high a. And as I told you, one of, I think at least one of the biggest developmental changes is low a to high a while guys are adjusting. So this is a really good time for, you know, I think in the low A's, these big fastball pitchers, you know, we talked about like Yuri Perez is another one of those. We need these big fastball pitchers, big bodied guys that can come in. You can take advantage of the younger guys. But Luis Medina has not only done that, he struck out 39 in 23 innings and five starts. He's got a, like around a 1-5 ERA and a sub one whip which is just so crazy for him because that would be the big key. You know, like a big strikeout guy, you would look, oh, what's he doing? What's he doing? Well, he does have 12 walks. You know, he's a little bit of a walky guy, but he seems to have it a little bit more under control, which is a huge sign. And he could be electric, electric if he gets there. And then this is an off one that I'm not sure how many people are in on. This is another really great pitcher, but he plays for an atrocious team that you don't want to uh, build off of. But Ryan Rollison, with the Colorado Rockies. He's in AAA right now in Albuquerque. And the stats don't tell you fully what's going on um, as far as like his, because he's got like a 4.6 ERA, but he had one start where he went one and two thirds and gave up five earned runs. Otherwise, he had three of his four starts where he gave up one earned run. He had a three earned run one, and he's had seven strikeouts in three of his five starts this year. And he started the season off with a sub one whip through the three starts. He was maintaining everybody. He's a multi-pitch pitcher who I would just, God, get him off the Rocky. So he doesn't qualify in the same thing of like, this could be the next elite, elite guy because I think the Rocky thing will always hold him back. But I think he'll take a jump. I think Medina, Medina and Rosie, uh, Rowenzi Contreras are two guys that are like low end players that are getting a lot of bump. But uh, Bobby Miller will be my pick of someone that's going to take a big old jump. And there's just, there's more there's I mean we could probably keep waxing about you know more Shane Boz who is not walking anybody anymore yeah yeah Slade Ciccone and Luis Frias and I just you know looking down my list of there there's so many pitchers that are coming up that's where I would be putting more of my attention in in acquisitions and trying to get those top guys yeah I'm glad you brought up Boz that's one of the other two names I want to squeeze in here I know we're running a little long but Shane Boz you know well you and I both saw him you know, out, out in Arizona a couple of years ago. And, you know, the stuff we knew that the stuff is there. Like he's pumping triple digits. That slider was like low nineties, but another, you know, command and control was, wasn't there, but this year it yeah. is there. Like he's barely walking anybody. It's early, but 
very promising, very encouraging, at least something to keep a, keep an eye on. And that if he continues to, sh- I don't think he's to stay at like a three percent walk rate all year or anything like that. But if he keeps showing improved command, improved control, you know the stuff is there. I think he can make a big jump. But he's in like the eighty-ish range for me right now. I think he could be top fifty by year end. I mean, one last name here. Who uh, this guy at at a time was maybe my second favorite pitcher in the 2018 draft class behind Casey Mize. That's Cole Wynn. Mm-hmm. And he kind of had similar issues as Forrest Whitley, where I, uh, the stuff was there. Obviously, not, not as good of stuff as Whitley, but the stuff was good. But, you know, there was some command issues, some mechanical issues, and he was just walking to everybody, giving up hard contact. He kind of fell not completely off the map, but damn close to it. But this year, he's gotten it back on track. Um, so far, I think he's in, was it low? He's still in, down in A-ball, but he's definitely going to back on track so far through, I'm oh, sorry, he's, he's in double-A, my bad, uh, through four starts, 21 and two-thirds innings, 208 ERA, 074 whip, you know, walking below 10%. Uh, K-rate is right around 30%, so definitely some encouraging signs. Uh, what, what are your guys' thoughts on Cole Wynn? I just I throw out, I saw him in uh, minor league spring training like a month ago, him against Asa Lacey, and he was holding up. He w- And actually, you know what? I think he also pitched in the Kirby game, so I think I saw him in both of those. Yeah, that's what it was. And he looked fantastic. Changeup was starting to rock. Fastball was okay. It was getting a little bit, it was being a little bit more hittable, but he was using that to set up, but he was more consistent than I've seen. And first time through the rotation or first time through the order, he really, really was dominating hitters and then started getting take advantage of as it went on. But yeah, I mean, he, I think he's further away than all the names we've talked about, but he's one of those like further down speculative ones where I think he can make a big jump with a full season, throw him in with guys like, you know, Matt Tabor, um, you know, I mean, Jackson Coar is maybe like a little bit more up, uh, Ryan Pepio, like th- those could be like this third wave. I like, if Pep- you, if, I like Pepio. Yeah. yeah. If you wanted to go in waves, there's like the wave that's here. There's maybe the next wave. I would put a guy like Cole Wynn in the third wave. It's a little bit longer of a push to get into a higher tier, but you know, Pepio Wynn, um, you know, a couple of guys like those that might start popping up, you know, I would put Cantorino, uh, honestly, in my eyes in the third wave, uh, but yeah. those guys would be popping up. I would agree with that. Clegg, what, what, what do you think about Wynn? And is there anybody else you want to quickly talk about here before we get out of here? Wynn's been impressive. And kind of like you said, in that draft class, he was one of my favorite pitchers. And so now it's nice to kind of see him coming around. I've seen, I think the commands improved a little bit. At least it's been more consistent. You know, strikeout rates definitely up from his debut in 2019. So from what I've seen, you know, he looks really good. And I'm hoping this sticks because, you know, I like the arsenal back then. I think the biggest question was – was the command ultimately. And, you know, he's, he's still fairly young at 21. He's kind of coming into his own in double A and, you know, pitchers do take, sometimes take a little longer to develop. And so I'd give him time and, you know, everything so far looks great. We'll see if it sustains, but yeah, I'm a fan of win. I think he's one that could definitely make a big jump up. So, yeah. Absolutely. All right. That's going to wrap us up. Uh, thanks everyone for listening again this week. Uh, again, you can follow all of us. Uh, Chris Clegg is at Roto Clegg. Chris Welsh is at Is It the Welsh? You know, follow him on you know Prospect One in this league. You know the Patreon in this league or Patreon.com/slash ITL Army. Go subscribe there. A lot of great stuff there. Check out our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Fantrax Toolshed. 
check out all of our great written work and audio work at fantraxhq.com. Uh, Chris Welsh, man. Thanks for coming on, buddy. This was a lot hey, of fun. Thanks. Did I make this the longest episode you guys have done with all my batter? It has to be. It's got to be. I, I, think, of- I, I think this is our longest episode, <laughs> but at the same time, this was one of my favorite episodes okay. to record so far. This this was a lot of great info. We hope everyone enjoyed it. Uh, it was beneficial to you all um, in your dynasty leagues and learn, learn something about prospects here. Uh, we will be back with you all again next week with more dynasty and prospect talk. But until then, everyone take care. fans it's time to step into a championship the 2023 miak men's and women's basketball tournament tips off march 8th through the 11th at the scope arena in norfolk virginia join all the me action with competitive basketball games fun theme nights and fan fests official after parties and comedy shows tickets are on sale via ticketmaster and you can log on to meachoops.com for more info the 2023 miak basketball tournament who will be crowned champion